Well, this morning, we're going to talk about marriage and singleness. It's a sort of Valentine's Day theme is what I was shooting for, but uh, it's a big deal. Look, so much of who you are as a person, so many of your plans, your expectations, look, your biggest anxieties, your greatest fears, your highest joys, your your most happy moments, so much of it is connected to choices that you make about who you are in or out of relationships. And your ability to make wise decisions about relationships will affect your entire life. And if you can even get even slightly better at making choices for yourself and learning how to influence others around you, that has a potential to set up yourself and people you love for a better life. Now, we have been, since the beginning of the year, have been the book of Proverbs. Lots of you have been reading a chapter a day, which is a really helpful discipline. Get an inventory of the choices you're making. Evaluate the directions, direction you make. And if, if you were to read through the book of Proverbs and circle topics each day you read, you'd notice that the topic of marriage and singleness comes up fairly often in Proverbs. So what we're going to do today, really simply, is to look at the major themes that you'll find just in the book of Proverbs when it comes to relationships and uh, all the choices that you make. Now, uh, just in case some of you weren't here for the last couple weeks, let me give you my normal introduction to the book of Proverbs. Now, in seminary, my Hebrew professor would say, if you can give a sermon in a synagogue, you probably shouldn't give the same sermon in a church. And what he means is that Jesus, the cross, the resurrection is such a giant theme of faith and Christianity that it really changes drastically how Christians read the rest of the Bible, which, to be honest with you, makes Proverbs a little bit awkward because you can read Proverbs, and at first glance, you only rarely see things about faith. Proverbs looks more about advice for your conduct. But when you look again, when you look closely at Proverbs, you discover that wise conduct, your wisdom is connected to worship. In other words, wisdom in the Bible is more than making good decisions. In Proverbs, wisdom represents the Lord. In fact, she's personified as a woman. Lady wisdom in the book of Proverbs isn't a potential spouse. It's the Lord. And the New Testament picks up on this. Uh, Wisdom is Christ, who's wise, but ultimately, big point, Proverbs is about living a life out of worship. And I should point out, I think someone reminded me of this last week, even a verse like the one on the screen is sometimes misunderstood. Fear of the Lord isn't this idea of being terrified of God or uh, put off somehow. This is about worship. It's like... um, you ever been in a, around a table where there's a big decision to be made and lots of people have opinions about what to do and then like, there's, there's this moment when everybody looks at that one person, you know, the one who doesn't talk a lot but when they do, everyone listens? Like, that's what the fear of the Lord is like. Listening, stopping and being influenced by the Lord. So that's a, my first caveat. Proverbs is more than good advice. It's about worship. The second caveat is that Proverbs are made up of simple observations about life 
And they all are true, but they don't always happen at the same time. Proverbs are not absolute. They're like data points. You get pastors like this one, uh, the question is, what do I say to a foolish person? And the answer is, it depends. Like, uh, these verses say the opposite thing. And I, I've known folks who read one proverb and live their life on it, and it doesn't work because life is complicated and proverbs isn't absolute. These things are rules. They're not the playbook. It's like, uh, anyone play chess? Okay, my son Jude has been obsessed with it. Here's the thing about chess. Chess has really simple rules but they're complicated. So if you learn chess, it's annoying because there's a lot of very simple rules and you'll learn things like, I don't know, the pawn can only move straight one space. That's true, right? Then you read the next one, it's like, well, except when it goes two spaces. <laughs> You're like, wait, what? Oh, or except when it goes diagonally. You're like, well, which one is it? Proverbs is a bit like that. And the rules of chess are full of contradictions that don't always work out. Because it's a rule book. You get the tools. But to play the game of chess, you need more than the rules. You need strategy and experience. Proverbs has a lot of rules. But to succeed at life, you need to know which rules in play. You need wisdom. Proverbs at one level gives you all the simple rules, but they always point to what you're missing, which is the Lord, for wisdom to know how to apply all these things. In fact, I just, you know, I, I'm talking about Proverbs here. I'll admit it. Sometimes you read Proverbs and it seems incredibly obvious, but I think it's still worth your time. Here's what I've noticed. Think about your own life. The very best decisions you'll make and the dumbest decisions you'll all make have one thing in complicated or one thing in common. Usually they're simple decisions. In fact, you ever look at one of the bad decisions you've made? Most of the time, you ask yourself, what was I thinking when I did that? And the answer is usually, I wasn't, right? <laughs> For most things that uh, affect good decisions, they're obvious. So a lot of the proverbs that seem obvious and simple are still worth pausing and thinking about. All right, that's my introduction. With all that being said, what does Proverbs say about marriage and singleness? It's, well, I got one more thing to say. Proverbs wasn't actually written for you, sorry. Proverbs was written with a very specific demographic. Proverbs was written for princes. It's in the voice of King Solomon, and uh, we get to overhear the advice to princes, because most of you aren't princes, and try and figure out how it translates. Um, it actually works, because most of you are more like ancient royalty than peasants, but Proverbs is for princes. Is a book for privileged young men with all the pressures and hormones and privilege and freedom, all the ability to thrive or... Actually, do you have another picture of this guy? What else? Put the next one up. Yeah, that, that's, that's what I was shooting for. Uh, I get very confused. Princes need to think about what they say. So Proverbs talks a lot about speech and what to talk about and, and how, to, how to measure wealth and power. So... We talked about that in Proverbs. And believe it or not, as a prince, the decisions you make about your spouse drastically affect the rest of your life and all the people around you. Princes make a lot of decisions, but look, so do you. So I'll point out that if you were to circle all the themes in Proverbs, who you're with comes up a lot. And you all are, I'll say this, while you're all a lot more like royalty than ancient peasants, uh, you're not all young men, 
So we're going to look for principles that make sense for all of us. So I'm going to take the liberty of translating something like this verse, a man who finds a wife finds a treasure, he receives a gift from the Lord. That's true for princes, but it's true for us non-princes too, right? So I think you should assume in verses like this, you could go, well, the woman who finds a husband finds a treasure. I, I could do that. She receives a gift from the Lord. So I, I think we have to make some of those jim- jumps because it's written to princes, not everybody. But it, I think Christians could benefit from this. Sons, daughters too. So I'm just going to tell you in advance, we're going to sort of adjust some language here. So that's a very long introduction, but I'm hoping that all of that introduces you not just to the rest of the sermon, but to a lifetime of studying Proverbs and pursuing wisdom. All right, heads up, lots of verses coming out to you fast. You'll find most of this in your handout if it goes too quick for you. Let me just, let me just start off. Uh, I need to apologize. This sermon did not go according to my plans. I, I, I was looking at, I was mapping out the Proverbs series and I saw it was Valentine's Day week, and I thought it worked so great, and I thought it'd be a nice, like, romantic uh, marriage advice sort of sermon. I, I don't know what I was thinking. I thought maybe there'd be a proverb about, I don't know, keeping the seat up or down, or doing the dishes, or I, I gotta be honest, I, sometimes I plan out sermon series, and I think a sermon's going in a certain direction, and then uh, the Bible doesn't back up what I think it should, <laughs> and uh, this is one of those sermons where uh, God sort of, like, went in a very different direction than I thought, so... This is not one of those uh, Valentine's Day messages, because the fact is, if you circle all the things Proverbs says about relationships, most of them are warnings against sexual immorality. And if you go in Proverbs, you'll find lots and lots of verses, less than romantic, but very scary about the damage of sexual sin. You'll find lots of warnings about when you choose immorality in a moment and how it wrecks the rest of your life. You'll find lots of situations in Proverbs, lots of verses that warn against princes, I don't know, meeting older women in a grassy field behind a busy... Sorry, I have lots of Prince Harry jokes, and I'm just going to shove the rest of them for now. But uh, seriously, these are issues that still work with princes, but are true with all of us. You'll find lots of warnings about avoiding sexual immorality. You'll find verse after verse about how sexual sin destroys marriage and lives. I'll just read one out of uh, dozens. This is Proverbs 2, 16 through 22. Wisdom will save you from the adulterous woman, from the wayward woman with her seductive words, who has left her partner of her youth, ignored the covenant she has made before God. Surely her house leads down to death and her paths to the spirit of the dead, none who go to her return or attain the paths of life. Like dozens of verses like this. But again, think about this. You are hearing these words to princes from King Solomon, or at least in his voice. What do you know about King Solomon? He's wise, he's wealthy, anything else? He's the son of King David. You know who his mom is? Uh, Bathsheba. If you know the story, have you ever put that together? Have you ever thought about how damaged Solomon must have been by that whole affair? I mean, think about it. Solomon lived his whole life in the wake of all of the destruction 
and all the shame of his father's sexual sin. If, if you don't know the story, basically his dad David had an affair. King David murdered, think about this, Solomon's mother's husband was murdered by Solomon's dad to cover up a rape-induced pregnancy. That's part of the Bible. It wasn't just Bathsheba, the victim who had to live with that trauma, but think about Solomon, right? King Solomon was raised in the shadow of abuse and violence, and here's a guy who made some really bad choices of his own. And you, you wonder, is it because he never saw a healthy marriage? Or is it because he never saw what it would be like to treat women with respect? And the fact is, hurt people hurt people. And King Solomon was someone who's hurt. And he doesn't evade responsibility, but his own relationships famously destroyed him as a king. And there he is, the voice of Proverbs, breaking a generational cycle. So you see him say over and over again, young prince, don't make the same toxic mistakes as my father or myself when it comes to immorality, King Solomon might have said. And I'm sorry, I, I should have, this is, this is a bit heavy. Proverbs has just wrecked my Valentine's Day vibe thing. Like, I was thinking about giving out little heart candies, but this is not going to work at all. But I just, I, I'm not going to sugarcoat what Proverbs spends a lot of time talking about. And I, I think Proverbs is imagining how much better the empire could be. Like, can you imagine if King Solomon or, or King David could, I don't know, have sort of kept the Ten Commandments to not keep adultery? Like, I'm not sure how much of the Bible story you're familiar with, but their sin affected millions of people. Their families, tribes, industry, wars were affected. King Solomon, King David made compromises when it came to adultery that literally changed the fate of an empire. Millions of people suffered because of their sin. Lots, I'm, not, I'm not exaggerating. People died. So you find the theme coming up quite a bit. Most verse in Proverbs, whether I like it or not, about relationships are incredibly harsh warnings that immorality is incredibly destructive. And that's still true today. Immorality is still destructive. And, you know, it'd be really easy to take pot shots as culture, maybe not as a easy as Prince Harry jokes, they're just sitting there, but... I mean, forget about everything in our culture, forget the media, forget whatever else. I'm just thinking about, like, the church space. Think about the sorts of good Christians, the, the folks who might even read Proverbs. Just think about that demographic. And think about how immorality has so destroyed lives just in that good group of people. I'm not going to put up any headlines behind me, but I will say it seems like every couple weeks in our country, even our county, there's a priest, a pastor, a youth leader, a teacher, a otherwise upstanding citizen who well, gets a headline because they get found out that this issue takes good people, good programs, good causes down with them. I could easily do a montage of headlines that may very well hit too close to home because that's, that's a fact. And as sad as the headlines are, think about the people who don't get in the newspaper, the victims. Think about your Bathshebas or their kids like Solomon. To think about all the people who get hurt because of abuse and immorality. Like, these are the facts. Right now, there has been incalculable damage to people from abuse, 
from trauma, there has been a hard-to-calculate amount of damage done to the reputation of churches. And we have gotten all too close to illustrations of the consequences of these 3,000-year-old warnings about choices made by people. I won't sugarcoat it. This is what we're talking about here. Proverbs' first category. Lots of verses about this. But the biggest category is warnings about what happens when you're immoral. And it's about being uh, faithful in marriage or pure in singleness. You know, the, the catechism of our church is almost 500 years old, but it summarizes a lot of what the Bible teaches on the topic. I'm just going to read it. Uh, the catechism asks, what does the seventh commandment teach us? That's the commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. And the Reformed tradition, uh, adding up all sorts of other scriptural teaching, says that God condemns all unchastity, and therefore we must thoroughly detest it and live decent and chaste lives within or outside the holy state of marriage. And then, of course, there's another question. Does God in this commandment only forbid such scandalous sins as adultery? And the catechism continues. Here's the Reformed answer. We are temples of the Holy Spirit, body and soul, and God wants both to be kept clean and holy. That is why God forbids all unchaste actions, looks, thoughts, talk, or desires, and whatever may incite someone to them. Let me show you that last sentence again. Uh, I'll continue. That is why God, I'll read again. That is why God forbids all unchaste actions, looks, talk, thoughts, or desires, and whatever may incite someone to them. That is a high bar, folks. Obviously written centuries before the information age, long before we, like kings and princes, can conjure up almost whatever we want to see. This is written before we had this sort of affluence to have loose accountability and freedom that a higher standard of, li of living gives us. But that's the first thing Proverbs says over and over again, that a wise life is a life free of immorality. One commentator pivots is that the says the second things related to that says sort of complicated that maybe a, a good offense or good defense is a good offense. So the second category of things you find in Proverbs over and over again is that if you're married, love your spouse. And uh, again, I got to be honest, this is sort of a messy sermon here. Uh, there's a lot of verses I was ready to read, and then I, I read the commentaries on them, and uh, it becomes obvious that. Solomon or uh, Proverbs and Song of Solomon may, be, uh, may have a lot in common. Uh, a lot of these verses aren't G-rated. They have a lot to do with loving your spouse, but I'll leave it at that. A lot of wisdom looks like pursuing pleasure with your spouse. And uh, Proverbs adds a lot of talk about how wonderful marriage is. A verse like this, a man, or I'll add woman, who finds a spouse, finds a treasure. If you find a spouse, you find a treasure, or you should, you receive a gift from the Lord. So a lot of Proverbs, and I think this uh, applies to more than just princes, talk about how wonderful being in a relationship is. 
And this is worth underlying because there are so many negative thoughts about marriage in our culture. It's tricky to find a good example of a healthy marriage on TV, right? Proverbs combats that by talking about how wonderful it is. Being with the right person is like having gold. It's wise to appreciate and love your husband or wife. It's a blessing. It's wise to become the kind of person that is a treasure to someone else. It's wise, and it communicates that by talking about the alternative. So you see lots of verses about making the wrong decision about who you're with or who you are are, is what's painful. And lots of Proverbs are like these. I'll make them gender neutral again because we're not all princes. You've got passages like, uh, (laughs) they're funny. It's better to live in the corner of an attic than to live in a lovely home with a quarrelsome spouse. It's better to live in a desert than to live with a quarrelsome spouse. A wife or spouse of noble character is their partner's crown, but a disgraceful spouse is like decay in the bones. Lots of verses like that. Look, I think the biggest threat to marriage right now, and there's a lot of things competing for that title, I think it's simple. It's bad marriages. That too many Christians are more like quarrelsome spouses and like treasure. And Solomon says a bunch of times, don't be like that. Be a treasure. Become the sort of person that is a crown, not a cancer for your spouse. All right, so that is all the major themes in Proverbs when it comes to marriage and relationships. I'm so sorry. I really thought it would be more romantic and maybe more practical. I should have like read Proverbs again before I put this on the calendar. Uh, Next week, we're going to finish up this series about Proverbs and decision-making. We're looking at the one final theme, which is kids and family and how community works uh, in a wise way. Um, But I'll be honest, I think if I ever do another sermon or series on marriage or singleness, uh, you'll find me in uh, Ephesians or Corinthians or something. I'm going to avoid Proverbs because Proverbs really just cares about uh, being moral and not being stuck with with being or with a horrible person um, when you should be a treasure. That's, that's pretty much the thing in Proverbs, and it's good. You'll be wiser. You'll make better decisions if you stop and think through all this. But I want to end. I'm going to cheat a little bit and jump out of Proverbs a little bit because I'm convinced that the biggest problem in any message about marriage and family is sometimes we over empathize how important it is. It becomes really easy to make our identity your relationship status. Who am I? I'm a, I'm a husband. I'm a wife. I'm a single. Sometimes that becomes our name tag, and that becomes a bigger part of our identity than belonging to the Lord is. And I think that failure to prioritize things seems fine unless there's any sort of problems. So this becomes a problem when you, know, when you lose a husband or wife. And your identity is destroyed. You go, I used to have a husband, I used to have a wife, and now I don't, and I don't even know who I am anymore. Or there's folks who feel like they're not valued. They feel purposeless or unhappy because they're not in a relationship. And there are some people who go, if I could only find the right person, then I'd be happier, I'd be complete. Or this is the worst. There are some people who get married and think their problems are over, And they discover that being married doesn't make you happy all the time. Sometimes it introduces a brand new set of challenges. And there is, I think, a worship dysfunction 
when you make your relationship status the sum of who you are, when you take that identity and try and force it into a role that only the Lord should fill. So I want to talk about it. There's this very human temptation for people in or out of relationships to put that in an object of worship instead of the Lord. So I'm going to talk about it for a second as we close. There's this almost comical scene in the life of Jesus, a single guy, by the way. Uh, Here's how the story goes. There's a group of people who don't believe in the resurrection, and they're just trying to tell Jesus how silly the idea of heaven is. So they ask this idea about uh, this man and his wife. Who is this man's wife? Here's a label, a man's wife. Who is she even going to be in heaven? And they tell the scenario. She's got seven husbands, and one dies after another. She remarries. And Jesus, eternity is so silly. Who is this woman even going to be when she has seven husbands? And Jesus answers more or less, look, that's, you're not someone's wife. Like, you are way more than your relationship status. And in fact, Jesus goes sort of aggressive. He gets a little salty. He goes, if you think that, you probably haven't read the Bible and you don't know how big God is. I'll, I'll read it. Jesus says, you're in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. And he says, at the resurrection, people will neither marry nor being given in marriage. They'll be like the angels in heaven. Which is to say that you, you may label that woman as this man's wife, but God sees her as a, as a daughter. Married folks, enjoy God's gift. Happy Valentine's Day. I didn't get you any candy. Uh, don't take your spouse for granted, but know this. You are more than a husband. You are more than a wife. Think about eternity. This is a short, momentary life. Most of your existence, you are fundamentally a child of God. Widows, widowers, singles, you are more than your marriage vows. That was never your identity anyway. You're a son or daughter of the Lord. In fact, I'm going to read a, a verse from Romans that will probably never make it onto a Valentine's Day card. It's more than you could fit on a little candy thing, but it's true. None of us live for ourselves alone. None of us die for ourselves alone. If we live, look who you live for. Live for the Lord. If you die, we die for the Lord. Whether you live or die, we belong to the Lord. It's a verse that says you, married, single, widow, widower, whatever your status happens to be, you are more than your relationship status. You're more than belonging to a partner. You're more than living for someone else. You live for, you belong, body and soul, to our Savior, Jesus Christ. And never forget who you are. And the thing is, when you lean into the relationship with the Lord, it makes you a better, more secure, stronger, wiser person of faith. And when you're able to worship, you get a foundation, the stability, the ability to make wiser decisions about whatever choices are ahead of you. So Father in heaven, could you remind us over and over again of how very much you love us? And can the fact that you love us, that we belong to you, that you've adopted us, that we live for you, may that affect us like a, like a wave, like a hurricane, like, like may we be impacted 
so powerfully by how much you love us and made that security protect us from making bad temporary choices. Can you help us to make wise choices, to love others, to trust you, and may we live our lives out of worship for you and your great, powerful name. I ask all this in the name of Jesus, who loves us. Amen.